name is Lester. Once again, we welcome you here to Renaissance. Uh, it's my privilege to introduce to you today our guest speaker, uh, Pastor James Robertson. We're so glad that he, his wife, and his three beautiful children are here. Uh, some of us got to meet them at the marriage retreat, and we were so blessed by their wisdom and their insights into all our problems. <laughs> so we're so thankful that they're here. Uh, please uh, join me in giving a warm, a warm welcome to our, our speaker today, Pastor James Robertson. Good to see everybody here. Yeah, I did do the marriage retreat, and I see a lot of faces. I don't know a lot of names, so I'm sorry if I forget your name. I do remember your issues, praise God. So if I see you, I'm like, communication, right? Hey! Uh, but it's really good to be here, too, in that. Um, so I've been watching Renaissance from afar, and it's really been good to just see what God has done in Harlem, and it's also good to have a church that you can recommend and encourage people that you're going to get the same things, hopefully that we're doing at Bridge. And it's always kind of weird when you stalk somebody on like Facebook and Instagram, and then you have to act like you don't know as much information that you know about them. You know that feeling? So um, yeah, so that's what's going on right now, because I already know everything happened at your church. But, um, but it's really good to be here. Listen, um, before we dive in, I, I want to pray, but what I want to pray for is uh, what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the life of Moses, and we're going to look at one period in time in his life when God was calling him to do something significant, but he had, failed, he had felt that he failed God so much that he was not useful anymore, right? He believed that God could not use him. He believed the calling of God in his life was based upon his performance and not, be, not based upon God's sovereignty and design, and, and that might be where you're at today. When Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. That means that every one of us in this room, if you've been created by God, there is a significant customized work that he wants you to do. And you are not wasting time. Moreover, God wants to use your time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us. We are gathered here because we've had an encounter with you, or we want an encounter with you. And so in light of that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us during this time. I pray that you would demonstrate yourself. God, Holy, I pray that the Spirit of God would meet us where we are, and you would speak to our life, and then we would respond. I pray we would respond to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to learn from Moses' life. Some of you may want a mentor, right? Many of you may never have a mentor. But the reason why God almost embarrasses people in the Bible is because he wants you to have a life that you can look at both their victories and their failures. All right, so let Moses mentor you for a little bit. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. We won't go into too much detail with the background of Moses' life, but Moses is a Jewish kid growing up in an Egyptian household. 
The Egyptians are oppressing the Jews and have been doing such for 400 years. And the leader of that oppression is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the one that has adopted Moses. So here Moses is in the house of Pharaoh, watching Pharaoh oppress his people, the people he identifies with. And somehow, the scriptures don't really tell us, but somehow Moses had this inclination and this impression that God wanted him to deliver his people, to even set them free from his own grandfather who had adopted him. And so it says that he went down and he had noticed how much the Jews were working hard and and he got frustrated because he saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew. So what he did was he decided, I'm going to break this up. I'm going to stop this Egyptian. And in so doing, you saw, he said he looked this way. He looked that way. And privately, quietly, he ends up murdering an Egyptian. All in order to set his people free. That's what he believed God wanted him to do. Well, it says in verse 13, he went out the next day. Now, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, the offender, this is the one that was getting his licks in. He says, why are you striking your companion? But he said, watch this, who made you a prince or judge over us? Who do you think you are? And then he says, are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid because Moses thought his dirt was done in the dark. Tried to hide it and cover it up in sand. Well, he says, surely the matter has become known. And when Moses, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Look at Moses. Moses believes that he's supposed to deliver his people. He goes down and he tries to, one, stop the Egyptians from beating on Hebrews. Then the next day he decides, man, these Hebrews, they got to know we're all in this together. And guys, I'm here to lead you. Y'all, don't, y'all may not know this, but I'm going to set everybody free. And I've been studying and learning. And I'm really going to be the guy to lead you. Well, there's some things that from the book of Acts, when Stephen the martyr is speaking about Moses that we can learn from background-wise. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. Now I'm 41, praise God. And I don't know if you know this, but I think in a lot of people, we have this internal shot clock as to the moment we're supposed to be significant. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's my time. It's like, you know, it's like I I went to school and I paid all this stuff. And it's funny, I paid for an education, but I'm not being paid now. Like, what's happening? It's it's my time. Like, I've I've, I've done all the networking. I've I've got my link. My LinkedIn is is, is sharp. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm talking to people. It's my time. And yet, what we learn about Moses is that in verse 22 of Acts chapter 7, 
Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. In verse 22, don't miss what it says there, in all wisdom of the Egyptians. That was a colloquialism. All the wisdom of the Egyptians is like, man, this guy had it together. Oh, this guy knew all his stuff. I mean, this guy is the type of guy you want your daughter to marry. That kind of thing. That was a phrase that they would say when this was a person that everyone wanted to be like. There's reasoning to that. We understand that if he grew up in Pharaoh's household, he most likely went to get his education from a place called the Temple of the Sun. The Temple of the Sun was essentially like how we understand Oxford or Harvard. And there he would have studied science and medicine and astronomy and chemistry, theology, philosophy, and law. He would have also studied military history. And what scholars tell us is that Moses most likely had already led an army tells us he had actually defeated the Ethiopians in a battle. And so Moses had all this education. He had all this experience. But more than all of that, Moses had been watching his grandfather his whole life. Oh, yeah. He saw how Pharaoh led people. He saw how Pharaoh used his strength. He saw how Pharaoh was able to intimidate, motivate by power, He saw Pharaoh every day. And one critical error that Moses made that we can make in Acts 7, 25, it says, he assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they didn't understand. He thought, y'all know I grew up in Pharaoh's house, right? Y'all know I've been to the temple of the sun. You know what they say about me. That I've got all the wisdom and I'm eloquent. My speech is profound. Y'all know what they think about me. But you notice what the, the Hebrew said. He said, who are you? And unbeknownst to Moses, he thought he was just going to arrive and the people were going to follow, kind of like his grandfather did. Church, let's learn from Moses' life. Let's let Moses mentor us. Moses had godly motives, but he operated with Pharaoh's methods. Oh, yes. He was so used to seeing how his granddaddy Pharaoh did things. He thought, I'm going to mimic the way Pharaoh does stuff, and people are going to follow me just like my granddaddy. And church, I just want you to be careful about who you watch and who you let be your mentor, because We may be clueless just like Moses was because many people want godly success and they're actually reading about Jesus, but they're mimicking the world. And so in light of that, we got to be careful about our eye gate, about our ear gate, about who we allow to influence us because you may have a pure motive, but it may be corrupted in the way you come across the way that you try to make people do things. Here's another thought. When God's in it, it flows, but when the flesh is in it, it's forced. You're going to make people do it. In other words, when you face resistance, no matter how much God has clarified in your mind there's something you ought to do, when you face resistance, it tells the story of how much you're trusting God, whether you're going to 
whether you're going to explode or try to intimidate or whether you're just going to be frustrated or implode. When the flesh is in it, we have to make people follow. We have to make people listen. Another thought, it does not matter if God convicted your heart, you still will need to convince people's minds. Church, I know that some of you have God telling you things, but I also want you to know by saying God told you does not make anybody do anything. Somehow that line has presented, been presented to me. Well, God told me. I was like, well, I don't know that. Like, I still need to be convinced, praise the Lord, right? So, so we have to get, you, you, you are going to somehow, someone told you it doesn't matter what people think, but Jesus, it says about Jesus, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus was a servant. He loved people. But one last thought. Spiritual leadership is God-appointed, not self-assumed. When God sets someone apart to do something, he equips them, calls them, has them operate in their gifting, walking in the Spirit, But just because you think something about yourself does not mean God agrees. Now, I just want to take a commercial break here real quick before we move on. My church in Brooklyn, the average age is 26. 85% of my church is single. Part of that is because we meet at 4 o'clock. So I don't know, God is, we're trying to change that. But at the end of the day, some people like to stay out and then come to church. We get that. We get those people, praise the Lord. So, four o'clock, we have a four o'clock service and six o'clock service, and 80% of our church is single and, and, you know, young. Here's what I tell them. Do you see what just happened? Moses was 40 years old, thought it was his time. God sends him to Midian, and another 40 years goes by. And you're mad because you've been in the city four years, and life is not popping. And what I want to, what I encourage them and what I'll encourage you is this, stop measuring success by speed and start measuring success by character. We are inundated in a world of social media slash social comparison. And we are constantly looking at people and how fast they do things and how big they do things. And this is going to surprise you. But just because it looks like it's working doesn't mean it actually is. And just because these people are presenting themselves one way doesn't mean they are who they present themselves to be. And just because they look one way online doesn't mean they look that way in heaven. What matters is how God sees you. What matters is godly character. And godly character takes time. It takes time. And speed is what we are being pressured to every day. Speed is what this city is about. Speed and careerism is the pressure that we're feeling. And God had to send Moses to Midian, not to learn, but to unlearn, to be deprogrammed from the pressure that he felt because he looked at his schooling, he looked at his upbringing. The Bible said Moses was a good-looking brother, too, so just throw that out there. (laughs) 
He looked in the mirror. He was like, I'm popping. And so people were saying, you know, you're the next, you, you know, you, you're going to be something. And that registered inside of him deeper than what God said about him. And so what I want to encourage you, I know and I'm confident God has called us all to significant things. That does not mean fame. But God has called us all to a particular platform. That does not mean it's always seen. But whatever God is calling you to do, he's going to take his time. He's going to take his time. All right, that was for free. Um, So when we look at Exodus chapter 3, it says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father. Now he's in Midian. He's out in the desert for 40 years. 40 years goes by. He is now defining himself by the last chapter in his life. And as far as he's concerned, I am a runaway murderer who failed to deliver his people. You hear that? I'm a runaway murderer who just failed to deliver his people. Well, now I'm a shepherd, and he's out there. It says he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame a fire with the bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now, I want to just take a pause there and just notice, he doesn't ask, why is the bush burning? Because in the desert, a bush would burn all the time. They were combustible because of the dry heat, they would be brittle, withering away, and once the sun reached a certain degree on that dead bush, it would combust. The question wasn't, why is the bush burning? Really, the question is, why is that disintegrated? Why is that bush falling apart? Let me go check this out, because I ain't never seen that before. He walks over to this mountain, and when the Lord saw that he, got, he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered, do not come closer. He said, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God, in this moment, is trying to teach him something because he's wondering why the bush is burning continually. And what God does, at that time, hospitality would be that when you've entered into someone's home, you would take your shoes off. And what God was showing Moses was the reason why that bush is burning is because I'm here. And the reason why I want you to take your sandals off, the word holy, set apart, is because this space now is my home. And everything is changing because I'm present. And so he has to take his shoes off. In verse 7, the Lord said, watch this, I 
have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Do you notice what God was saying there? He says, I've noticed this. I've noticed the people. I'm sending you. And so what God was clarifying to Moses is that I am fully aware of what's happening. And what God was telling Moses was, it's my time. I want to do something for my people. And what we have to notice is, There are several things to keep in mind. When God is going to do something, he's going to use people, but he's first going to see a need on earth. He's going to wait for the right time, and then he's going to send the right servant to meet that need. What Moses says is, or what God says is, I've been watching the people, and and I'm working all things together for good, and I'm also preparing the servant. So God is creating the context, and he's also building up the character, and he's going to wait for the right time. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. So the Lord is trying to teach him something. I believe he wants to teach us something through Moses' life. The Bible often uses demonstrations. It'll use something like a tree. You know, oftentimes the Bible will talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And oftentimes when we see something like a tree, we think, oh, okay, I need to be like that tree. I need to have things produced in my life. But the reason why God uses a tree is because he's trying to show that he's the one that's going to flow through us and he is the fruit producer, not that we produce fruit in and of ourselves. And I think sometimes we think God uses the people that are the most bountiful, that have the greatest resume, that have the greatest networking, that are most seen, that are most known, and have the most said about them, that God is using the most bountiful people. But I believe that God does not use the most bountiful people. If you look there, if you look at the moment that that bush started to burn up, it was because it was dead, because it was Basically, it could not do anything on its own. And the question isn't, are you bountiful? The question is, are you burnable? Are you able to take your life and all the deadness? The Bible says in Romans 12 that we are a living sacrifice, that we are to die to self. And what God is looking for is not the person that has the greatest smile in the scene. It's really the person that is willing to take their weaknesses before God. The Bible says his power is perfected in weakness. It's the one that is willing to wade before the Lord and cry all night and sing to the Lord and worship him. And it actually believes that if it is not for you, nothing will happen. If you don't show up, my power is nothing. My resume may be great, but you have to come into this room and get me this job. 
You have to demonstrate yourself through my life. It is not the people that are most bountiful. It is the people that are burnable. And I ask you that. Can you present your weakness before the Lord? Can you be weak in front of him? Do you believe you are where you are because you've done what you've done or because God has done it through you? Do you believe you walked to where you have been or where you are? Or do you believe God carried you? That is the question we have to ask ourselves because God demonstrates himself most to the people that believe they can do nothing without him. And so it says, but Moses asked God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. And then Moses asked, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? Notice what, he's, notice what Moses is going through. He's saying, who am I? Why, are you, why would you ever want to use me, a runaway murderer? And then he says, what's your name? And the reason why Moses would ask that question is because at that time, in a polytheistic mentality, all gods had names that would put their reputation on display. So tell me what you're about. You know, before I go to these people, I need to know, what, what, what are you good at? Like, what are you into? Because I want my people to like you. What are you about? And so what he says is essentially, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to demonstrate to you who I am in my name. The Egyptian gods would be Osiris, the king of the living, Anubis, the divine enabler, uh, Ra, the god of sun and radiance, Horus, god of vengeance, Thoth, god of knowledge and wisdom, Hathor, goddess of motherhood. What are you good at, God? What's your name? And then he says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is the name forever. This is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. He says, I am. Now, you have to understand, when he says, I am who I am, or I am that I am, I am who I am are the very characters in Hebrew that spell out the name Yahweh. And what God is saying is, I am the only self-existent, infinite being in all of the universe. He is saying, I am the God who acts. He's saying in the repetition of the name, I am who I am, it suggests the idea of uninterrupted, continuous, and boundless action. He's saying, I am what in creative activity and everywhere I turn out to be. He's saying, I am the God that really acts. He's saying, I am who I want to be. He's saying, I will be what I will be. He's saying, I am the existing one, and I cause to be what comes to pass. And what God is saying is, I can do 
Whatever I want to do, I am not quarantined to one job title. I can do whatever I want. You tell them I am that I am. When I used to preach in the old black church, they used to say, you know, uh, he's your, he's your, he's your, you know, your lawyer in the courtroom. He's your doctor in the hospital. He's saying I, God can do whatever he needs to do, and he does not need a name that's subject to one kind of action. You tell them that. And in so doing, Moses hopefully would build his confidence. But look at Moses here. It says, what if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? And Lord asked him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground. And he said, and so Moses, rather, threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand, grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And this will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What? He would ask is, God, how could I ever be used? And he says, what's in your hand? And though they don't have this in the Bible, I'm sure the internal exchange inside of Moses is, the staff, the thing I've been using with sheep for the last 40 years, this is insignificant. This is like not useful at all. Like I've wasted my time these last 40 years. You surely don't want to use this. And before I go into this last point, church, I wonder what makes you feel adequate. Where do you draw your confidence from? Where do you get your significance from? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says, It's not that we're competent in and of ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. I tell you, church, I don't know. I don't know y'all. I just stalk y'all. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. I have people that are waiting on validation. You know, my homeboy, he just got that blue check. You know, you get on Instagram, you get that blue check. And he's like, yo, I'm verified. And I'm like, praise God. But you were adequate. You were adequate before that blue check. Your adequacy doesn't come from blue checks. Your adequacy doesn't come from how many eyes see you. Your adequacy doesn't come from followers. It doesn't come from fans. It doesn't come from any of those things. Your adequacy comes from the Lord, and it's because God loves you in ways they never can. And God loves you when no one sees you. Our adequacy is from God, and our significance is from him. And if God is our significance, what we're doing is significant. That's why he says, what's in your hand? Just this staff. I've been, you know what I'm saying, hitting these sheep with it. And God says, I'll use that. Yeah, because, oh, I want to use you. It's you I want to use. And I don't minimize platforms. I got, you know, I got people in my church, they're like, yo, I'm going to be on Broadway. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm like, so what do you do? He's like, I work at Trader Joe's, praise God. 
Trader Joe's. That's where I'm at right now, but I'm going to be on Broadway. You know what I'm saying? People, and this is what I tell them. You are significant now. Playbill doesn't make you significant. That stage doesn't make you significant. More eyes on you don't make you significant. You are significant now. And if you are significant in the eyes of God, if you are at Trader Joe's waiting on Broadway, Trader Joe's is significant. Why? Because you're there. And God wants you to use you right there with that staff in your hand. What's in your hand? Next year is not significant. A next decade, another, another part of your education, adding on to your resume, that's not significant. You know what's significant? Monday. Monday's significant. Well, you know, I just babysit, praise the Lord. You know, I'm with these kids. and the, Well, don't you, you were with kids. How do you feel like when he was with sheep? Moses was with sheep all day. And some of you are defining yourself by the season you're in. But others of you are defining yourself by the failures of your past. And like Moses, you tried to hide it, cover it in the sand. But God wants you to confront your fears. God wants to use you. And many times, God is trying to teach you something. And much of what he's trying to teach us is in our greatest moments of what we consider insignificant. When I was 29, I started pastoring a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when I pastored that church, I remember thought, I remember I thought, you know, I was a speech communications major, I was a theater minor, I played college football, I had all these leadership things I thought I could do, and I thought I was a pretty bad boy, you know? I went into the church and they didn't care about all that. And I was there for five years. And I remember at 34 years old, I said, I'm good. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to preach and go home and wonder how I did. I don't want to have to deal with people's problems anymore. I don't want to have to question myself anymore. And I wanted to just do something easy. And I went and I applied to a job at Coca-Cola. My uncle worked at Coca-Cola and I gave him my resume. And all it had was like ministry stuff on it. And so I won't use the words that he said, praise God. <laughs> but he said, I mean, unless you work at the bottom, I mean, you don't, you don't have any other skills. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, in a crazy way, I'm not saying what he said was godly, but God used that moment and I was like, I'm trying to run from the very thing I know I'm supposed to do because I'm afraid of failing again. And maybe I didn't fail. Maybe I didn't fail. Maybe I just didn't see what I thought I wanted. Maybe God was using what I thought as failure as a tool to humble my life. And I, you could have never told me that I would move to Brooklyn with two kids and live in 600 square feet. I like the South. I was in Atlanta, the five-bedroom house. I had the thing called a garage. I don't know. I know, I know many of you don't know what that is. I had this thing called a backyard. That's French for room, more room. Um, 
Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Two pickles, the tea. Polynesian sauce. But listen, listen. And oftentimes when you have OD'd on failure, you really get addicted to comfort. And you're like, I just won't go back. And you don't, you don't even want to hear the voice of God. You just want to feel comfort. If God is giving you a dream, if God is impressed on your heart, there's something for you to do. Step out. Trust God. But do not define your life by the seasons of your past and the season you're in now. Trust him. Trust him. When you surrender your life to God, all of what you have becomes God's property. And so if you're a singer, when you surrender your voice to God, that becomes God's voice. If you want to use your home, when you surrender your home to God, that becomes God's address. If you have a business, when you surrender it to God, that becomes God's business. He becomes the boss. Whatever you use for God becomes his property. And just like that mountain changed because God was there and he had to take his sandals off, whatever's in your hand, whatever you have is significant because of the presence of the Holy Ghost in your life. You are significant. What you're doing is significant. Don't wait for another season for significance significance is based on Jesus and Jesus in your life. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, I pray, God, that you would remind us, remind us of your love for us, remind us, God, that Monday matters. Whatever is in our hand, God, I pray, Holy Ghost, that you would just shower us with that reminder that God's presence makes me valuable. God, would you remove the distractions of all the things that are around us, the comparison, the pressure, and fix our eyes on Jesus, our value, our worth, our verification. In Jesus' name, amen.